so it's going to be something that's familiar to a lot of you. That's why I say act as if you're an alien. Act as if it's different. Act as if it's foreign, your first time stepping in. And listen to this with the ears saying, what would it be like if I was hearing this for the first time? And what would that shape me to do then in response to it? And then we'll spend the rest of the time talking through some very practical steps of what it looks like for us to faithfully play our role in God's story. So I'll give it uh, the story that we believe starts with God coming down, so to speak, and created everything. He made it good, right, and beautiful. The flowers, the plants, the animals, your favorite animal inserted here, God created it in such a way that it was all meant to flourish. He set up the patterns and the systems of the world so that everything could flourish. And then he put image bearers in the middle of the garden, Adam and Eve, and gave them the job to cultivate all the hidden potentials of his creation. They enjoyed a perfect relationship with each other, with him, with creation, and even with themselves. And this world looks nothing like the one that we see now. What happened? Genesis 3 through 11 tells the story of human beings deciding to rebel against God's reign. They felt like he was too restrictive. And so when he had given them the command to eat from any tree of the garden, except for the one that would show whether or not they trusted him, they chose to take for themselves the fruit and eat of that as they believed the lie of the enemy. And so creation fell under a curse. Death came in. Poison was released in one way to look at it, where everything was affected. All humans were implicated by the decision of our first parents. But God didn't leave them without hope. Uh, act two of the story is a rebellion. Act three is a promise. God promises that one day death would be put to death. Yes, the world was decidedly different now. Yes, there would be pain and longing and agony. Disease, death, isolation, and oppression were all released into creation. But God said it wouldn't always be that way. And in fact, he made a promise to a man named Abram in Genesis 12, and that unfolds all the way through Malachi 4, showing how God would keep his promise to his world that he would make things right. From Abram came a great nation, and that was the promise that God had made, that the, the number of descendants of Abram would be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. But as they grew in number, the followers that came after Abraham did not go towards liberation but oppression. In fact, they were, they were enslaved by Egypt, the most oppressive nation at the time. And they were coerced to create consumer products for the nation of Egypt. And for 400 years, God's people cried out and said, God, would you rescue us? God, would you rescue us? God, would you bring justice? And finally, in Exodus, we get the story that God hears the cry of his people and he sets them free. And the whole rest of your Old Testament, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Elisha to David to Ezra to Rahab to Rebekah to Rachel, all of those stories are set on the backdrop of whether or not God would keep his promise. And as God worked with his creation, he worked with humans in the nation of Israel. He gave them a way to live where they could love God, love their neighbor, and enjoy him even in a broken creation. But that sin problem, that poison, corrupted even them. And instead of crying out for the oppressed, they began to do injustice themselves. They were consumed with lust and gave over to their desires. They stopped being generous and started giving to their own pockets instead of giving to God. They forgot about the stranger and the foreigner and wanted to elevate themselves. 
And so God sent his nation, Israel, into exile. And for 400 more years, he was silent. But then act four of the story of redemption, God surprises absolutely everyone and sends his son through a teenage unwed mom in a backwoods town called Nazareth. And the royal announcement that God's son was coming to earth was made to shepherds, not a reigning sovereign. And Jesus grew up in relative obscurity. But then he stepped on the scene and in no uncertain terms announced good news. God's kingdom was finally here. He was the one sent to make things right. He could forgive sins and heal what was broken, both in humans but also in creation. And he announced what his kingdom looked like. I'm going to get excited about this. He announced what his kingdom looked like, that it wasn't one reigned and ruled by oppressive power, but by mercy and justice. That the way to elevate yourself in God's kingdom was not to subjugate others, but actually to serve them. And the religious people were confused. And those in power were frightened. But those at the fringes who knew they were too messed up, that had no hope, believed. And gathering around Jesus was an economically, racially diverse community of people who had one thing in common. They were desperate for God and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the true King. And so the religious and Rome came together to have Jesus murdered. And one day on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus was nailed to a cross. His body absorbing the wrath of the Father, not just for sin that he has done because he hadn't done any, but for the sin of the world that he took on himself the effects of the Father's wrath for all that had gone wrong in creation. And he died. They pulled his body off of the cross. They put it in a tomb under the seal of the Caesar. And I can't believe what was probably going through people's mind. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't worth it. Uh, maybe they just misplaced their trust. Maybe the way to actually see true and lasting change was a sword, not a servant's towel. Where had they gone wrong? They had pushed the weight of their life into believing that Jesus was someone, but now he was dead. But even as his body lay in the tomb, God was still acting. And three days later on Easter morning, Jesus resurrects. And so this had never happened before. And so something brand new happened in creation that shapes the way that we look at the rest of history. That God will make all things new just like he did in Jesus. He ripped that from the future, brought it into now. And Jesus said, a good news, new creations here. And he described for his followers what life in the kingdom looked like. And they said, yes, finally, are you setting it up now? And Jesus said, actually, there's another act in the story. Act five in the story is the church. Jesus' followers filled with his spirit and sent out in the world to announce and embody the good news of the kingdom. Uh, these weren't just theology majors or pastors, but everyday people who were filled with the good Spirit of God and sent to announce the good news of God wherever they went. And so they kept their citizenship in their own cities, but served a different king. God's people lived as a family of sent servants who lived by the power of the Spirit 
and lived by a code of justice, compassion, of mercy and forgiveness, of truth and hope and faith, even as the world around them lived by a different ethic. A God's people were called to be a contrast community, faithful witnesses that the gospel events had taken place. And so sometimes better than others, the church goes forward living out this new identity, not marked by just following their own desires of what they love and what they want, not having to hide because of sadness or even hide because of sin in their life, but they're able to come into the light and enjoy God's presence, loving those that were like them and those that were very different. This is a different kind of community sent out to live in a world that still believed a different story. And anyone, anyone who turned to Jesus could be a part of this new family. And as they announced that that news spread until the day that we find ourselves right now, 2020, that news continues to spread. This is the story we find ourselves in. This is the part of the story that we get to steward right now that God has not yet returned, right? Jesus has not yet returned. He still sent us out, but how will we steward our moment in his creation? How will we steward our moment in his creation? There's a lot that could be said here, but this isn't the end of the story either, and I want to keep going so we have time to pray. The story doesn't end when humans finally get it together. It doesn't end when they stop fighting and all become friends. It ends when Jesus finally returns to make everything right. It returns when he returns and reconciles all things in himself. And everyone who has given their allegiance to King Jesus enjoys a restored creation with no more sickness, no more sadness, no more disease, no more death, no more oppression, no more injustice, no more abuse, no more tears. Only a good king with a good reign on a renewed creation. Revelation tells the story of this, of this new heavens and a new earth. And when creation is finally and fully made right, human beings are finally able to live as full beings as they were always intended. And all those that reject God, those that say, I don't need you, I can do it my own way, much like Adam and Eve did at the beginning of the story, spend eternity separated from God. But those who bow their knee to him get to enjoy his presence forever. And right now, our actions are meant to point forward to that day in part when all will be made new. They point back that we have a king who lived and died and rose again. A God who is for the marginalized. A God who is for the poor. And if we're poor, we have a place in his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because that's the stuff that God's kingdom is made up of. So what do we do with it? How do we faithfully take up our role in God's story? And that's the question that we spend our lives answering. So that's the story that you hear. Uh, this is why we gather. This is what we're doing here. This is the literal narration of world history uh, from beginning to its culmination. And so you sit and you hear this. Imagine you've been even just tracking with us since the beginning of the summer where we started talking about who God is and what he's done. 
And then we saw who we are as a family of missionary servants, right? And this story undergirds all of that. It's a very different way of looking at the world. It's not just another religious option that you should opt in or out if you want to, but this is actually a different telling of human history and who humans are in history and actually what all history is pointing to. It tells something very different. But if you heard that story, you heard that telling, and you listened through to it, what would you expect the church to look like? Remember, you don't have all the baggage of the last however many years of church history to deal with. You're an alien. You're, you're fresh here. You just got off your ship, right? You're, you're thinking like you don't know what it's supposed to look like. You just walked in. You stepped into this building. And now you're like, man, this church thing. What would you expect it to look like? This act of the story pointing forward right before everything's made right. I want you guys to turn around and maybe talk to a few people who are around you. Uh, if you feel comfortable with just one other one, that's okay. If it's a few more, that's great. Uh, but what would you expect the church to look like if all you heard was the story of God? And I know that's a short telling, but in that telling, it gave you enough. What would you expect that the church, the people of God, those who live by this story and have given their lives to this Savior, what would you think they looked like as you went out from this place into the rest of the world. I'll go ahead and turn to a few other people around you. I'll give you, I don't know, three to five minutes. So go ahead and think of a few things. What would you think the church would look like if all you had was the story of God? Ready? Go. There you go. A little bit muffled, but we're good. Um, so our, our group said uh, two different things. One was that... Um, the story up until the church is like so profound that if the church people really believed that that was true, it would influence every aspect of their life. And there'd be like almost a fanatical following of Jesus and of the story to that point, um, because it's just amazingly profound and it's so uh, all encompassing in a way. And that, but the other side of it, too, is knowing the history of Israel and how they struggled to be faithful. Uh, we thought, based on that, it would probably say that the church would also struggle to be faithful. Um, so there's kind of two sides of it. There's like this fanatical, all-encompassing identity, uh, but also a struggle within that based on what we know about humans from the story. That's good. Anybody else? Um, in a few different ways, we were trying to talk through, like, what would it look like overlapping? It's really simple now. Um, we often have, like, our work community, our church friends, our other friends, our neighbors. Um, but how would that look different to see relationships overlapping if that was the story um, that you were seeing? How would that change? We didn't have an exact answer. but That's fair. That's good. Uh, maybe one more? One more person. What do you expect the people who were formed by this story to look like? the way that he did um, just because that was such a pivotal point like a turning point in history I would expect them to be radically shaped by that specific turning point yeah, that's good you'd expect people who are following Jesus to be shaped and looked and formed like Jesus right that would make a lot of sense yeah I appreciate that Cool. Well, this is the question, honestly, that we spend our lives trying to answer, isn't it? That how do we as God's people live faithfully our role in God's story? 
As a church, that's what we've set out to do, to say, how exactly can we arrange our shared life together so that we are that people who are filled by God's spirit, right, God's good spirit, and sent with God's good news to announce and embody that wherever we're sent. And it can't just be like lofty ideals or theological treatises or uh, PhD level educators who come up with what this looks like, right? It was sent out to be everyday people living it out in normal stuff of life. Like the area where we're most formed is the stuff that we have to do every day, like waking up, you know, making that first cup of coffee, being able to celebrate God in that coffee, not just when you're on vacation seeing the glorious sunset. I like It can't just be that moment when your kids are all singing angelically in the choir, right? It has to be the moment where they're shorting out and you're like, oh, God has me sent here to serve these kids. I don't get it, but I got to figure that out because there is a lot of that. Or maybe it's kids putting up with your parents when they're losing their stuff and you're like, oh my, God has me here to pray for my parents. Like that's a real thing because they're losing their stuff right now. Like we have these moments that are the everyday things of life, but how do we live into that together as a people? And so what we're gonna spend the next little bit of time together saying, how have we as a church given words, given language to how we're gonna faithfully play our role in God's story? So this is what each and every one of our Missio communities set out to do. And this is what we hope every single person, whether you are just a little one or you are the senior citizens in the group, are living their lives by these same rhythms that we together say, this is what it means for us to follow Jesus in our space and our time that we've been given. And just like Israel and just like the early church, we may not perfectly do that all the time. But if we're gonna be formed by God together for the sake of our city, we need to set that out as our goal. And so this is one of the ways that we line this up. And so if you're taking notes, you're welcome to draw along. Um, but these are three practices that we use to say, how do we organize our shared life together? Uh, we use these three circles all the time. The first one is formation. And namely gospel formation, right? The idea that if we're people who follow Jesus, we should be formed into the image of being like Jesus, which is actually the image that we were given in the very beginning of the story where we were made in the image of God. Genesis 1 and 2 tell that story. And it isn't until Adam and Eve decide that they're going to do things their own way, that that image gets distorted and people no longer trust God the same way that they were sent to, that they were invited to, that they got to. Uh, we're all being formed by something. This isn't just a Christian thing. Every single human has pressures on their life, something that wants to form them to be more like its image. And so it can be social media shaping you into being a dependent, neurotic consumer. Like that's their goal, right? That is exactly, uh, check out the new Netflix documentary, right? It's like, oh, this is science. They're literally trying to do this to me. Mission accomplished. Actively trying to shape us towards something. Your political party tries to shape you as a good Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, whatever the other ticket party might be. Uh, they're trying to shape you to be a good version of that. And so they limit your input, right? And they want to tell you all the positive things, none of the negative things. This is who we want you to be. If you're going to be a good fill in the blank, you do these things. Nothing is neutral. Everything has an agenda. But if we follow the storyline of scripture, it's only God who genuinely cares that you flourish. Uh, Tim Keller says that no other, when you fail any other savior, they will never forgive you. 
And when you get them, they will never satisfy you. Only God can do that. And so people who are following after Jesus, we want to be shaped by Jesus. He's shaping us as citizens of his kingdom. First uh, John says it like this. He says, uh, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. So together, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. He's saying, we want you to experience being formed by the literal God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. You get to enter into that fellowship, and that will form you to be more of who God always intended you to be. And so we set up practices that line up with that. That's why we pray together. That's why we read scripture together. That's why we sit in silence and let the Spirit speak to us. That's why we learn things about God so that we can be formed more in his image, not just for academic information. This pursuit of being formed in the image of Jesus is a lifetime pursuit, but it's one that we want to aim after. We see it in the early church, and we see it always true of the people of God. There is some vision of the good life that we're formed by. Every single advertising campaign is telling you what your savior should be. Whether it's a beer, an exercise regimen, a hair product, a toy, that will finally satisfy you. And that's just not kids, that's adults too. I've seen, you know, trailers running around town. There's a whole lot of toys that adults can get, right? This will finally satisfy you. Uh, but Jesus says that when you follow me, I will give you rest. I will satisfy you. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. How do we get formed by that? That's part of what we set our lives towards. Big practice. The second one that we look at a lot is community. A community. A people that we do this together with. Like we saw last week, the family of God needs each other. None of us gets dibs on being the exception to the rule where we do not need another a part of the body and we can do it on our own. Just me and Jesus and I'm good. Nobody gets that in the story of God. Uh, even Jesus himself interacted with the Trinity and then called together his 12 disciples, right? He did it in community. How much more do we need that? What's that mean? It means that we are following in the words of Romans where we're devoted to one another in love, that we line up normal stuff in life, like we actually spend time with other Christians, not just on Sunday for an hour or in our missional community meeting for another hour, but our lives actually overlap. Like we start taking vacations with each other, right? we share meals with each other, we do lots of things, but it's overlapping in meaningful ways with one another because the gospel's true. And this is why the Christian community does not look like one type of person. This is why it's people from all spectrums of life gathered together because what they have in common, what we have in common is our base need that we need Jesus and he's placed us in a family together. And so there's gospel formation, there's community, and then the last piece is mission. Uh, we love God, we love one another, and we love our neighbors. A God's redemptive mission invites us into relationships with him, with each other, and it's always for the sake of the world like we talked about last week. Like God has always sent his people to bear witness to others the good news. It's never meant to be just huddle up, make it through, but go and announce good news. Go and make disciples of all the nations. It was Jesus' co-mission to his disciples that we live into. Uh, filled with the Spirit, we're sent out to be a community of justice, of reconciliation, of peace, of hope, of joy in the midst of a culture 
that may not get to experience those things as deeply. And so for us, that means our neighbors should be blessed because Jesus moved into their hood. He's with us. Our bosses should be blessed because Jesus sent us into that place of employment. Our city should be blessed because we bring the tangible presence of Jesus to its streets. Our families should be places where the presence of God is nurtured and experienced so that others in our neighborhood can lean into that and experience what the kingdom of God is like from being around us, not from coming in here on a Sunday, though that should be true there too, but from going out into the world and the everyday stuff of life where you go filled with the aroma of Christ as you're sent out. And we talk about how this overlapping area right in the middle is where the kingdom of God becomes tangible or an expression of the church is seen. And so wherever we see formation around the gospel, community and mission taking place, that in its purest, most simple sense is what it looks like when we send out a visual representation of the kingdom of God. And something beautiful happens in there. So we used to do a training every year. Uh, This year got canceled because of well, life um, in the age of COVID. So we do a thing called Soma School, which is where we bring in pastors and teachers. A lot of you guys have been a part of that. Some of you have hosted families. Some of you have gone and been participants at it. Uh, It's a great time where we basically uh, spend a week immersing other leaders in what it looks like to live out the gospel in missional communities in a bunch of different forms. And so we give day after day of the theology. So these students pay money. They come in from literally around the world. Uh, I remember Cora laughing when she was like, People really come from Denmark to hear you talk. Um, it's like, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. And yes, there's five of them here. Um, and so they came in, and so we'd sit here as Missio Day communities, and we do our best to equip the church to be faithful to their role in God's story. And so saying, this is what we see it looks like. And so they come in asking, all right, what do we do? Like, how do we do this? We want to see our neighbors reach with the gospel. We want to be a visual, vibrant, powerful community in the places where we're sent, whether it's Kentucky or Denmark, or England, like wherever that is, we want to be faithful. What does that look like? What do we do? And we spend all the time, except for the very last day, much to their frustration for the previous five days, talking about all the stuff that we've talked about from the summer on. Who is God? What has God done? Who are we? Because without that foundation, what we do just becomes another religious checklist. If we don't have the right foundation, the building crumbles under the weight of the work to be done because we don't find ourselves empowered with the Spirit. We're not going to embody good news. We're just trying to do a bunch of stuff. And so we have to spend time building that out. But we do get to, what do we do then? So what we're setting out, even as we talk about formation, community, and mission, it's not meant to be a straitjacket that you have to fit into. It's meant to be a sandbox that you get to play in, right? It's not a stagnant pond that you just kind of have to put up with and be like, ah, gross, it's church stuff, but I guess I'll put up with it. But it's meant to be a crystal clear pool that you cannonball into and have a good old time experiencing life as God intended it to be. And we've come up with a very simple uh, way to remember these things, the blessed rhythms So at the purest sense, the simple sense, what is it that followers of Jesus do? This is a great way to think through it. Uh, Tim Chester, a pastor in the UK, came up with these, and we just wholeheartedly ripped them. So thank you, Tim. Uh, Bless is an acronym, as most church things are, right? The first one, bless. The second one, listen. Third one, eat. And then speak. 
and then Sabbath or celebrate. We're going to spell out blesk, but then that wasn't near as memorable, so now we just make a joke. Blesk. The last one being celebrate. Uh, If you're following along, those are the same images that are up here that uh, Camille Weaver took and is part of what we're going to be using to shape our family over the fall. Uh, that as it goes through those same, uh, we were putting them together right before the gathering, Camille, and Kenzie uh, got to about, I don't know, here, and she's like, wait a minute, these are the blessed rhythms. Um, and so I was like, well, well done, Kens. That's really good. Um, and so these are just visual ways to us to remember that these very tangible actions that we do, uh, this way that we follow Jesus in normal stuff of life, not just theory, The first one, bless. I'm just going to walk through this, and then I'm going to give us some homework. You're welcome. You picked a great week to come. Bless rhythm. In its very essence, each one is super simple. And hopefully you can find as we listen that there's ways in our life already that we can infuse with gospel intentionality that then equip us to be the people of God in the everyday stuff of life. The first one, bless. And so each week we look for a way to be a tangible blessing to others. And so each of these can go through that formation to God, community, to one another, or to our mission, to our neighbors. And so every one of these rhythms, uh, is, it's like this beautiful matrix that unpacks within formation, community, mission, but then it also traces through the entire story of God. Every one of these rhythms was in creation and is present throughout the entire story until the restoration. And in fact, in the rebellion, you can see where Adam and Eve failed to live into each and every one of these. And we're not going to do this for every single one of them, but with bless, just take it through the story. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden and given the job to cultivate all the hidden potentials of creation so that literally the rest of the world, the future, would be blessed by what they did. And then they chose not to live to bless God and bless others, but to satiate their own desires to live selfishly not for the benefit of others, but for what they wanted in that moment. And that's where, in the second act of the story, things go wrong. But God calls Israel, right, and literally, Genesis 12, 1 and 2, he tells them, go, and you're blessed in order to be a blessing to others. And that traces all the way through your Old Testament. And the times when they get that right, there's celebration. And the times when they get it wrong, they're sent into exile. Until Jesus steps on the scene, redemption, and his life is a blessing to others. He demonstrates the amazing realities of what's true when the kingdom of God comes. And so there's no more disease, sickness, sadness, death. And he does miracles that sets those things to right. And then literally gives himself so that all people could be blessed. And then he sends the church out. And like we just talked about in that story, to do the same thing. To, they've been blessed to be a blessing to others until finally one day, All is made right. Everything sad is untrue. The world is restored. And we're able to perfectly bless God and live for the enjoyment of one another, not just ourselves, with no selfishness in the restoration. And so how do we do that? That's normal stuff. That's like when my neighbor calls up and says, hey, I have an extra pan of enchiladas last Saturday night. Do you want some? Actually, I do. Uh, that's when we write a card to somebody else and we know that they're having a rough time, just a word of encouragement, and we can bless them. That's when we spend time with God, praising him and thanking him for what he's done in and through us. We bless him. Thinking of ways that our time, talents, and monies can be for the benefit of others, it's a blessing. And so asking that, how can we bless? Next, listen. And so each week we aspire to listen to God, to listen to each other, and to listen to the stories of people around us. 
Uh, what a gift is it to other people when we actually slow down and want to hear what it is they're saying. In a world where people are so quick just to speak and to tell you something, the gift of listening is powerful. And again, we see this in the garden, don't we? Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And if there's a conversation going like it seemed, they would speak, God would listen. God would speak, they would listen. There's this rhythm throughout creation where words are spoken, others receive them. And thinking through, again, how can we do that for others? What are ways that we can practice that presence of not just waiting to get our turn to talk, but actively listening and honoring other people's stories by paying attention and not just thinking of our next witty comeback or the advice we want to give or the critique we have to offer. Imagine what kind of good news that would be in normal stuff of life, that coffee conversation, that drink, that meal. Next, and this is usually people's favorite one, is eat. This is knit into the very fabric of creation, and so we can celebrate this one. Uh, Yesterday, we were going through the blessed rhythms in the truck as we were riding. We don't always do this, but I wanted to make sure these guys were geared up, you know, for what we were going to talk about today. And so all three of the kids were back along the back of the truck, and I was like, what are the blessed rhythms? And they struggled on the B and the L the first time through, but we got to the E, and they nailed eat. Like all three in chorus, I know that one. That one's eat. And so we get to do that. We feast together. Uh, Knit into God's creation, literally food is what's meant to be there to remind us of who God is and what he's done, how he provides for us, how we get to cultivate hidden potentials of flavor and enjoy that together. We get to share meals at tables. We feast literally on communion together where we remember what Jesus has done for us. Eating together, we've got three baked-in meals, pun fully intended, where we can be a gospel presence uh, with other people. Do we take advantage of that? Does our table reflect the diversity of God's kingdom in all of its margins? Next, we speak. And so, yes, we listen, but there's also a time to speak good news to people, to hear where they're at, to process, to spend time with them, but then also a rhythm of of confessing to God, talking to God, having prayerful conversations. We listen first. I love that that comes first, but then we also speak. Uh, We speak to one another and remind each other, hey, good news. Uh, When we're feeling fearful, we don't just give advice about six ways not to be fearful in today's world, but we speak good news of a great God who truly reigns into that, right? There's good news. We don't just give simplistic answers, but there is a story in which we find hope. And there has to be moments where we speak that both to our community and also to those who don't yet know Jesus. Just being really nice neighbors is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. We don't want you to be jerks of neighbors. But there's also a moment where you speak and you're able to give a reason for the hope that's within you when somebody asks and press in. Bless, eat, speak. And finally in the list is Sabbath or this idea of rest. And this might be the one above all that stands against our Western sensibilities. Uh, this might be the, one of the most countercultural rhythms of God. We can find this in lots of other places. We can find people who are doing good things or listening to each other and eating, uh, speaking, Jesus says that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to speak. So whatever you're talking about is genuinely what you love the most. 
Uh, somebody asked me once, like, how do I talk more about Jesus? Like, I want to do that, but I don't really do that. And I was like, well, what do you spend all your time talking about? And they're like, well, most conversations come back to fill in the blank, right? For them, it was CrossFit at the time. And I was like, well, that's very Christian of you, CrossFit. But it comes out because you feel like that's the thing that you are most seeing results from that's bringing you joy, that's helping you live. And you're like, got excitement about that because you genuinely enjoy it. If you feel that same joy with Jesus, he will come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. But then lastly, Sabbath, this idea of rest, of slowing down, of saying enough is enough and spending one day a week where we don't produce, where we don't work, where we rest and we worship. And that's very different than escaping. And so when Israel stepped into this, right, this wasn't a rhythm for them to catch up on their laundry for the week. Uh, It wasn't the rhythm where they said, all right, cool, I got a lot of chores to do. I've been looking for a day. Uh, This was the day where they dramatically and intentionally set aside space and time to be with God, to recreate, to enjoy, to laugh. It was a hard world in the ancient Near East. It wasn't perfect. Like they didn't go on spa days every single Sabbath. They still had to live with a few other million people on the backside of a desert, right? Like you still had three generations living in your tent. It's not like, it's like, oh, I got my little corner. Now I can have my Zen moments. But they found ways to rest, to worship, to reorient around God and his story. And we're invited to do that as well. A day for play. Imagine that God baked that into his creation. Like that's knit into the fabric of creation. Here's a day where I want you to play. I want you to have fun. I want you to have rhythms where you learn how to celebrate. And kids get this a lot better than we do, right? He's fist pumping over here because the idea of celebrating sounds like a lot more fun than all that other stuff I talked about. You can find joy in that. I cannot. It's too pixelated for me. I can't find joy in Minecraft. I know. I just lost brownie points. But finding ways to rest, reorient, unplug, be present with people. Imagine what kind of good news that looks like when we say, hey, I know I could do more. I could produce more, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say enough is enough so that I can be present where I'm at and not feel this burden, this tyranny of what's next. That's the life that God invites us into. Imagine an unhurried life and how neighbors looking in would recognize something very different. A community that's built on unforced rhythms where we together rest and rejoice in who God is and not just frantically fling ourselves into the next week. It's a lot. When we slow down, we can appreciate God, his community, and his creation in real time. We reorient in his story. We understand that we have limitations and have to make decisions that are for the good of the community, not just our personal agendas of what we want to enjoy. And all those things happen in a space where God meets us to walk us through it. So bless rhythms. Bless, listen, eat, speak, and Sabbath. That's the way that we together as a church want to live out these normal, everyday things as we follow Jesus together. So what could that look like? Uh, that's the part where you guys have your assignment right now. And so kids, you can replug, connect back into me because I'm about to tell you something else too. 
Here's the deal. Uh, work it out with what you have on you. So I want you to split back into those groups you started out with. With what you have on you, how could you live out each of these blessed rhythms? So this is just a creative experiment, right? If this is true, if this is what God wants for us, then how could we do that just with what we have with us? Thinking about how could I bless others? How could I bless God, right? How could I listen? What would eating look like? Speaking, Sabbathing. You're allowed to go into your wallets if you need to. Uh, you cannot go out to your car and find like the really cool thing that you got out there. That'd be a lot of fun to play with. It's only what we All right, all right. I hope your answers were as good as ours because they did phenomenal. So kids crushed it. Um, every single one of them, parent, if you sent a child back there, they did an amazing job. So be sure to thank them and tell them they did a great job listening, speaking, in turn, and responding. So all these things. So we drew out a few things. This is what we did. We, do, we didn't have all these things, but we made them up. Imagination, right? So now we have them. Pizza, what could we do with that? Uh, money, a phone. Hearing kids' answers for phone was really good. They all actually had ways they could use their phone for other people and not for themselves. It was amazing. Parents, we could learn from them. Um, and then a house. Fun thing, uh, with each of those different things that we did, uh, kids were able to say, so catch this, parents, don't miss this. In that bedtime back there, they were each able to say, here's how my family has done this in one of those areas, whether it came to food or money or talking to people on the phone and being there for them or a house. Um, and so this is the stuff, the normal stuff of following Jesus that we want to raise one another up in and raise the next generation in. Not that it's just some lofty out there theology and philosophy that, that doesn't connect to life, but the stuff of Jesus influences all of our lives together. And so we're going to end tonight our, our liturgy, our time together, going back to the table. And the elements are back there. There's bread and there's juice. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to go back there in just a moment and take a piece of the bread, take the juice, and return to your table, uh, return to your seat. And then we will together take communion, showing how uh, in and at the table we see each of these rhythms lived out in a way that empowers us and sends us out to live them on our own. So, Missio Mesa, um, I want to invite you to go back to the table. It's open. I love that when uh, Jesus gave us something to remember him by, it was a meal. And so people like me that are pretty simple can uh, figure out that it really points to something far beyond itself. With the bread pointing to Jesus' body, which is broken, and the, the juice pointing to his blood, which is poured out. And so we remember that even as we're able to celebrate, it's only because of the costly sacrifice of Jesus. And so uh, we were so broken and so messed up that he had to die for us. But the table also reminds us that we are so loved that he wanted to. And just consider as you hold those elements, at the table we see that God has blessed us beyond measure with Jesus. Oh, we see that God is a God who listens to the cries of his people. In its essence, this is a meal. Every time we eat, we proclaim our dependence on God to provide for what we could never meet on our own. Uh, we see at the table that God speaks a better word over us. We are not strangers who are tolerated by a distant deity, but we are welcomed family members of God at the table. And then at the table, we see that we can Sabbath. It was set for you. You didn't have to do anything to prepare for it. We realize that because of Jesus, everything was accomplished that was needed for salvation. We need only receive. And so we come to the table to receive and to rest in the finished work of Jesus. I take this in remembrance of him. Mm -hmm.